0: This whole day of the Meditatsu Center will be about artificial intelligence and about contemplation. And you may wonder what the relationship is, and my objective of the day will be to persuade you that uh, there is to be a vital relationship between these two topics. And uh, first, in my first talk, in this, this morning talk, I will attempt to raise the awareness what artificial intelligence is and uh, what how important it will be for our lives and uh, that we should take this into account because it will be very soon very important in where we, we are going to live in, in, in our societies. so this will be the topic of my morning talk it's the, the Age of Artificial Intelligence bit of the title. And uh, this will be probably the more scientific talk uh, and the one that I feel more comfortable in doing because I've been artific- researching artificial intelligence for over 20 years. So, so, so I will be comfortable with that talk. But in the afternoon, in the afternoon, what I will attempt is... Um, I will attempt to make clear that nurturing our contemplative dimension will be very necessary. First, to cope with this impact that artificial intelligence will do on our lives and on our societies, to be able to adapt to that, and also to provide orientation on how we have to continue to research how, to have, how we need to develop technologies, how we need to deploy them in our societies so that we, we nourish the well-being of humanity, of all life forms of, of the environment. So, so that will be the, the topic of my second talk that I will do in the afternoon, and it's, this, it's the contemplation format of the title. And probably that is the one that I am less comfortable to do, because these are always difficult things to express in words. And although I am very much trained as a scientist, I am not very much trained as a contemplative, so uh, that is much more difficult to to explain for me. And then, in a wrap-up session, I may add some additional thoughts about the role of contemplation, in these emergent knowledge and innovation societies that that we are starting to live in. So I will start to, to show this relationship between contemplation and artificial intelligence by calling to mind the figure of an important philosopher, theologian, mystic and contemplative, 13th and 14th century, which scholars also credit to be to, with the first serious attempt to mechanize reasoning, to mechanize human thought. And uh, the name of is uh, his name was uh, Ramon Lulli, also known by his anglicized name Raymond Lully or Raymond Lull, or by his Latin name Raimundus Lulu. One quick question, who has heard about Niuy before? Okay, so Ramon Llull, here on the left, uh, is one of the prominent figures of European thought. He's very well known in Catalonia, because he's credited, I think, um, the first major works in philosophy, in literature, using the Catalan language, in addition to Latin. And in Barcelona, we have a university named after him, and uh, the Catalan equivalent of the British Council, that is the governmental organization that promotes the Catalan language and culture internationally, is called the Ramon Llull Institute, uh, which by the way has an office here in London. And uh, last year, in 2016, uh, we celebrated the Ramon Llull year on occasion of his 700th uh, anniversary of his death. So, Ramon Llull was born in Majorca. Uh, only very few years uh, after James I, the king of Catalonia and Aragon, uh, conquered the island from the moors, Lui was from a very wealthy family with important links to the royal court. And as a grown-up man, uh, in his 30s, he had a wife and two children. He was living a frivolous life as a troubadour. When he had a series of consecutive mystical experiences, which turned his life and leading him to leave his family, his position, all his possession, to become a Franciscan tertiary, and to devote his life to the service of God with the objective to convert Muslims to Christianity. For this reason, he learned Arabic and Islamic culture, and in a later revelation, he envisioned a method to carry out this task. So Ramon devised a very complex system based on the mechanical manipulation by means of a series of concentric wheels of philosophical theological concepts, and this system was called uh, the Ars Luliana or Lulian art, which in a very systematic fashion constructed and analyzed rational arguments that supported the core beliefs of Christianity. So Ramon Lui presented this system, this mechanical system, his art, at the major European universities of that time. He presented it also to the Pope in order to get support and funding for his missionary task. And he even put the art into practice by uh, traveling and doing several missionary trips to North Africa. The works he composed during his lifetime, and he died in his mid-80s, is very impressive. So there are about 280 works in Catalan, in Latin, in Arabic, and he directly influenced uh, Posterior, the thought of posterior philosophers such as uh, Nicholas of Cusa, Giordano Bruno, and um, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, among others. Oh, yes. Why am I talking about Ramon Llull? And that's because today it is widely recognized that Ramon Llull anticipated some important ideas that centuries later. Led to the development of computer science and artificial intelligence, such as the idea of the algebra of thought, which would one could perform logical analysis and deduction based on mechanically realized calculations through the manipulation of symbols. But since, although The first ideas probably appear with his work. It was only by the late 19th century, 20th century, and early 20th century, that we had the conceptual apparatus and the mathematical foundations. And these mathematical foundations were mature enough and clear enough for computers to be actually built and programmed and then subsequently for the field of artificial intelligence to arise by around the mid-20th century, with the very explicit aim to design and build machines to exhibit what we would call intelligent behavior. Um, Where are we now in this quest of mechanizing reasoning uh, that was initiated by this by the mystic Ramon Yuy 700 years ago and carried and that we carry out we carry out now today uh, with electronic computers with the aim of tackling all kind of problems and tasks so where are we now well AI based technology is already present in many diverse and diverse, uh, many very diverse activities. So we find it in aircraft navigation. So th- thanks to our AI, I could come here. We have it in stock trading. We have AI in medical diagnosis, in home appliance control, uh, when we do work search, uh, in logistics in product commendation, in efficient efficient energy consumption. So there are many areas where already AI uh, technology is used. And we all carry AI in the mobile phones, uh, in our pockets, in form of personal assistants such as Siri, Cortana, Google Assistant, and other apps of this sort. So, AI is already here, so three years ago, four world-renowned scientists put forward in in an article published in the Huffington Post the following reflection of the future of artificial intelligence. The authors were Stephen Hawking who is the director at research, the director of research at the Center of Political Physics at Cambridge. Max Tegmark, which is an MIT cosmologist. He's the scientific director of the Foundation Questions Institute. Another, the other author was Stuart Russell. Stuart Russell is a computer science professor at Berkeley. He's the co-author of the most widely used textbook on AI in universities worldwide and uh, then Franz Wilczek, Nobel laureate and and physics professor at MIT. So four very famous uh, persons, scientists. And in their article they said, artificial intelligence is progressing, uh, artificial intelligence research is now progressing rapidly. And uh, recent landmarks in AI and artificial intelligence will probably pay against what what the coming decades uh, will bring. The potential benefits are huge. We cannot predict what we might achieve when human intelligence is magnified by the tools AI may provide. Success in creating AI would be the biggest event in human history. So when I was reading this, I said, wow, how exciting. What a privilege to be doing, working on that field. But then they also said, unfortunately, it might also be the last event in human history, unless we learn how to avoid the risks. In the near term, world militaries, are considering autonomous weapon systems that can choose and eliminate their own targets. In the medium term, a young economy to bring both great wealth and great dislocation as well. And in the long term, machines with superhuman intelligence could repeatedly improve their design even further, be more and more intelligent, and then outsmarting our financial markets, out-inventing human researchers, out-manipulating human leaders, developing weapons we cannot even understand. So these authors were saying that we are facing potentially the best and worst thing ever to happen to humanity. So, when I was reading this, I was thinking, gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I contributing to this destruction of humanity? There are more and more celebrities that have uh, voiced their concerns, such as Bill Gates, Elon Musk from Tesla Motors, and the actor of um, Martin among many others. So, actually, when I, actually, when I first read this article, I was surprised about this apocalyptic view that they were expressing. Because as an insider in the AI research field, and knowing what has been achieved, and what continue to be very, very hard problems to tackle in AI, my first reaction was to dismiss these claims and these fears as completely out of touch of what can be achieved in AI, near, mid, and even long-term future. But uh, these are prominent figures of science and, uh, and engineering, and also of artificial intelligence in particular. So a second closer look to what they say I think is necessary in order to assess the actual risk that we have, or that, uh, the actual risk that humankind is facing with AI research. So, since, since its inception, artificial intelligence has been surrounded with controversy. Always. And mainly that's because uh, there's no consensus of what intelligence is. So, the term the artificial intelligence creates a lot of confusion. And uh, questions such as, can machines think? Or, uh, can computers have a mind? Or, can robots be con- conscious? These are questions that have accompanied the fields of AI and have subsequently been tackled by by all sorts of thinkers and philosophers. And they are usually the sort of questions that we get from people outside our field, uh, particularly from journalists. They ask always these questions. But there are thinkers, for example, a philosopher back home in Catalonia, called Jordi uh, Pigen, that claims that the term artificial intelligence is an oxymoron, 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 because uh, true intelligence is natural. It is vital, and above all, cordial, stemming from the heart in its rich spiritual sense. Also, the Berkeley philosopher John Searle, so, so. a very critic of artificial intelligence, also advocates that intelligence is actually relative, a relative to the observer, Observe. relative. So he claims that there cannot be intelligence in computing machine, because intelligence is something in, in the eye of the conscious behold. So we, we see intelligence in the behavior of computers. But anyway, these questions, these more general philosophical questions, don't have, don't have a clear answer, because they often involve a particular worldview, a certain metaphysical outlook of what humans are, what machines are, uh, what we understand about thinking, what we understand about mind, what, we are, what, what consciousness is, And these are unsettled issues. So I won't answer this question myself, because I don't think they can be answered as they stand. Actually, we researchers in artificial intelligence don't bother very much about these questions in our daily Still, these questions and the advances done in the field of artificial intelligence these, uh, what, have, what we have achieved over the last 60 years of the field have triggered the imagination not of only scientists and engineers but of philosophers novelists filmmakers and the public at large we only need to look at the amount of movies that have artificial intelligence in their central topic 2001 A Space Odyssey for example, Blade Runner Terminator, Matrix, Her, Ex Machina, and more and more movies coming on with the AI theme in it. If we stay at this controversial level of analysis of AI, one can even claim that the quest of artificial intelligence shows some sort of religious narrative. One could see it as a contemporary expression of an ancient biblical biblical idea of creation in the image of the Creator, as we encounter in the first chapter of, of Genesis. Or we can also see it as a very mundane way to achieve some sort of immortality by attempting to take what is assumed to be specifically human, our rational thought, and to transfer it to machines, liberating, in this way, the mind from the body upon upon which it depends. So, although there might be some truth in exposing this religious narrative that artificial intelligence carries, I think it's necessary to look further into the what I call concept, conceptual metafor- metaphors that underlie the AI artificial intelligence research program, because the, the the research program of artificial intelligence originates with certain metaphors of mind, which constitute the basis of what is called Anglo-American analytical philosophy. I say metaphors of mind because cognitive scientists have in the last decades uh, provided significant evidence that most of our concepts, how we conceptualize the world, and in particular abstract concepts such as intelligence or mind, are largely metaphorical and grounded on the our bodily sensory motor experience when we interact with the world. So I don't know if you have been to be Greece. If you have been to be Greece, you might have seen lorries and buses with the word "metaphora" written on them, because "metaphora" means transportation and. Uh, That's what we do with metaphors. By means of metaphors, we transport the conceptual structure of a domain we are very familiar with, and we transport it to another more abstract domain. So by looking closely at what are the metaphors that underlie the research program, we can find out how we understand concepts such as mind, or rationality, or intelligence, and so this helps us to become aware of how we see ourselves as intelligent beings. So a very common way to conceptualize the mind is itself as a body. And we think, we're thinking where the the idea of thinking is conceptualized, again, metaphorically, by some some kind of physical functioning of, of this body, like moving, or seeing, or object manipulation, or even as eating. And the ideas that this thinking does are usually seen as physical entities, with an independent existence, such as location, things that we perceive, objects that we manipulate, or even food. So, we see these metaphors that we apply to understand our mind, for example, in expressions when we say, how did you reach this conclusion, where thinking is moving? Or when we say, I see what you are saying, where thinking or understanding is seeing, yeah. metaphorically seeing. Or when we say, this subject matter is beyond his grasp, where we see understanding as grasping, yeah. metaphorically. Or let's ruminate this idea a bit more before abandoning it completely. Yeah. Uh, really ruminating it, chewing it, So on top of these metaphors, which are very, very common to understand how, the, how we understand the mind, people have also used a metaphor which is called the mind is a machine metaphor. And more recently, when, the, when we had computers, the mind is a computer metaphor, by which we conceptualize the mind as a computer program. Concepts and symbols uh, concentrated ideas as formal symbols that these computers manipulate, and thinking, symbol manipulation. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with using metaphors because, um, actually, the cognitive scientist, uh, the cognitive scientist George Lakoff, and the philosopher Mark Johnson, argue uh, that um, it is virtually impossible to think or talk about the mind in any serious way without conceptualizing it metaphorically, without using some sort of metaphor. The problem is, they say, in the different attitudes Mm we have towards these conceptual metaphors. And in Lakoff and Johnson they list three attitudes that we can adopt towards uh, the conceptualization of mind in in terms of the mind is computer metaphor. And one is we acknowledge that it's a metaphor, so we can study in detail, we see what sort of deductions and treatments we do using these metaphors, and this helps us to understand how we understand our mind. A second approach is we recognize the metaphorical nature, but still take it very seriously as a scientific model of the mind. And many practitioners of what is called the weak version of artificial intelligence, or weak AI, take this position. So practitioners of weak AI what they do is they use computational models to study the mind and to formulate hypotheses about the mind and, uh, and study it. And weak AI is also been associated with the attempts to build programs that aid or enhance rather than duplicate human mental activity. So, most AI that is around is weak AI, in this sense. But the third attitude is that we can take the metaphor to disclose a deep scientific truth, to take it literally, namely that concepts are indeed formal systems, that thought is really computation, and that the mind is really a program running on the brain hardware, or wetware, as it is said sometimes. So this is the position which is called strong AI. Now, strong AI, in contrast to weak AI, is associated with the claim that an appropriately programmed computer can have a mind and could think at least as well as humans. And there are an important number of AI researchers for which achieving strong AI is the ultimate goal of our research field. So, with this this attitude, so once this mind as computer metaphor is taken literally, as defining the very essence of what a mind is, or what intelligence is, then it is not consciously seen as a metaphor anymore, because one sees at the truth as how things are. And so far, whenever very impressive results in breakthroughs, in the design and implementation of computer systems have been have been done, systems that exhibit some sort of intelligent behaviour, Achievements in weak AI, weak artificial intelligence, for example, beating the world champion in chess, or winning this American television game show which was called Jeopardy, which is a very complex game that requires extensive general knowledge and the capability of understanding uh, natural language. So whenever these breakthroughs have been achieved, Then they are usually followed by very over optimistic claims what could be done with artificial intelligence, about when human AI, human level AI could be achieved, strong AI in a sense. And as a consequence of this, often an extreme dystopian view of what this would mean for the future of humanity is also uh, voiced. So whenever there are these breakthroughs in weak AI, we get also claims on strong AI. But they are two different attitudes to understanding the mind as a computer. Now we are going through one of these periods of very impressive uh, results in AI technology, so-called weak AI and they are accompanied by speculations about when human-level AI will be reached, strong AI, and eventually even surpassed, and about this about the risks of reaching this point in AI development. And we are going through this period, but the current stage of interest and on the application of AI is probably without precedent. And uh, the difference to previous periods that happened in the past, where impressive results have been done and they have been exaggerated, and this happened before, the interest uh, falls down again, and now we are again in a very moment of hype where lots of talk is about artificial intelligence. The difference with the previous Uh, previous uh, events in which this happened is that um, that now AI is achieving human level performance in certain tasks, in certain areas that traditionally were considered very difficult to tackle. And these are, for example, space and speech recognition or language translation, or image processing and classification of images. Traditionally, these were very difficult uh, problems, and now machines are closely reaching human-level performance in some tasks, or even getting better. And mm, consequently, there's now a very important uptake in industry of AI techniques and all major tech companies, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, they all have set specific departments doing AI research and development and there are a lot of startup companies that are based on artificial intelligent technologies with a lot of funding going into these companies. There is therefore a growing consensus that artificial intelligence yes. is going to have going to be of huge importance for the future economy and for the functioning of human societies. So one immediate question that many currently pose is, how will then this coming AI technology going to affect our societies, and in particular our labor market? Will robots take our jobs? So, here's a website from the BBC which allows you to check the automation risk in the next 20 years of particular job titles. This uh, web is based on uh, a study that was carried out by the University of Oxford, together with the consultancy firm uh, Deloitte. And... I don't know if I have internet connection, before I checked it and it didn't work, but um, we can try to um, to see if we can check. Uh, so now we can check a particular job description to see uh, what is the risk of automation. And one is, uh, for example, tech, I have thought about some of them, taxi, Taxi and cab, driver or chauffeur. Okay? And so um, if we check that, then it says that there is a risk of 57% that in the next 20 years this job will be automated. Okay? So uh, let's look at another one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wait, wait! Wait, wait, wait. A library clerk. I don't know if somebody here is a library clerk, but um, this has a very high risk of being automated uh, 97% in the next 20 years. And now, uh, the question about Monk I think Monk is not there, but a clergy member. Did I write it well? Yes. Yeah. So, if you are a, cler- a member of the clergy, then the risk is only 2%. <laughs> so, you, can, you are safe. You are safe. In the next 20 years, your job will not be automated. Anyway, although I must say certain liturgies uh, <laughs> attended, uh are very, very mechanized, uh, very done in a very mechanized manner, so these probably could be uh, mechanized. Anyway, so what impact will these automation of jobs have on the functioning of human society? For this, it would be useful to look at the core assumption of artificial intelligence when we design computational systems that exhibit some intelligent behavior. So the main paradigm or the main idea that is followed in most research that we do in artificial intelligence is that of the Autonomous Rational Agent. So, that's the paradigm that is most widely used in uh, in the textbooks of artificial intelligence today, and taught in universities around the world. And here you have an image that shows an agent. Uh, It's the rover Curiosity. He's taking a selfie on the surface of Mars on January last year. And uh, so let me describe what this paradigm is, this autonomous rational agent paradigm, in very general terms. So in artificial intelligence, what we aim is to design a computational system, a computational entity that perceives other entities, and the environment in which it is situated. It gets this information from, this input from its sensors. And uh, then, based on what it has, what it is currently perceiving, what it has perceived in the past, so a memory that he has about things that he has perceived in the past, and some internal model that he has about the environment and other background knowledge that he has already stored in his memory, based on these uh, issues, he autonomously takes a decision to act, to do something, in in a certain way. So it produces an output on its actuators, whatever they are, arms, legs, that's what it's called an agent, because it acts, it's acting. And what is the basic principle that it uses for choosing a particular action, given its perception and, uh, and its memory and its uh, model of the world? So what is the principle he uses? So for this, in artificial intelligence, what we use, what we usually adopt is a very idealized understanding of what it means for an agent to act intelligently. And we narrow it down to to the notion of rationality. And to act rationally is also understood as taking the action, choosing the action, that produces the best outcome, according to some previously defined measure or performance measure. And when there is uncertainty, which is usually the case, where we don't know, we cannot choose the best action, the the, the action that produces the best outcome, what we we do is to choose the action, what the agent does, is to choose the action with the best expected outcome, according to certain probabilities, or using some kind of theory that handles this uncertainty. Now this approach has been very, very successful for the advancement of AI research. Because it avoids these vague and ambitious notion of what is thinking or what is intelligence or what is consciousness, and it adopts a notion of rationality, which is, can be very easily checked for success and for progress. If, it, if I have a system, an autonomous, rational autonomous, rational agent that plays chess, for instance. It perceives the chessboard with the figures, it perceives the movement of its opponent, Um, and what what, what it has to do is to choose the move that most likely will lead to winning the match. And an agent that chooses better moves and thus wins more matches is deemed more intelligent at playing chess. And if it does better than humans, that is more intelligent than humans in this particular task of playing chess. Or if we have an autonomous rational agent that aims at classifying tumor tissue images, for example, to to for diagnosing skin cancer. It has images and he has to classify it which can have a tumor and which are not. If it classifies images with a lower error rate than the humans, then it is deemed more intelligent than humans in this particular task of image classification. Or another example, if we have an autonomous rational agent that aims at uh, neutralizing some enemy, enemy position, choosing the target on which to fire a particular weapon or to drop a bomb, and does so with less collateral damage in terms of number of civilians, number of civilian casualties, is deemed more intelligent for this than humans for this particular task of enemy neutralization, for example. So whenever you have this framework of an agent that can act, that perceives, that has a performance measure to which it chooses the best action uh, to, to do, then we are in this paradigm that has... in which AI is uh, getting very successful. Now, obviously, perfect rationality is uh, seldomly achieved. For example, we cannot... it is impossible, computationally, to explore all the possible chess moves, the one of the opponent, mine, the one of the opponent, and to explore everything, to, to know which is the best move to do. So, in AI, what one assumes is we have a limited or bounded rationality, and uh, uh, lots of important research problems lie in designing good algorithms to cope with this situation of limited rationality or real-time decision that has to be done in certain scenarios. So, this understanding of Rationality has been very useful for tackling many for tackling many tasks in AI where AI techniques have been developed, and these are the the areas that I mentioned before. So, in aircraft navigation, in stock trading, in medical diagnosis, in home appliance control, logistics, consumer recommendation, computer games, etc., etc., etc. This is the paradigm that very worked very well. to to be applied. (coughs) However, this notion of rationality, and this notion of autonomy, that is associated with it, namely that we freely choose the actions we want to do based on our rational decision, which is the idea that is behind, is largely characterized by uh, assumptions that have characterised modernity and which underlie the value system of, of industrial societies. And these assumptions are that societies are formed by agents, self interested individuals or self interested organizations that have objectives, that they can these objectives can be achieved by interacting with other agents or acting on the environment in which these agents, these individuals, these organizations are situated. Another assumption is that the agents have well-defined preferences. They know what they want, and these preferences can be quantified and can be compared. So I prefer something more than other things, and I can compare this. Or that agents are autonomous and that they decide the action to be taken in a rational way, that is, they try to maximize this performance measure, this utility and benefit. It is also based on the idea that rationality is disembodied, it doesn't depend on the body, on our bodily nature, and that the knowledge that we create is is stored in our minds and other human artifacts, like. Stories, books, or internet work computers. That this knowledge is actionable information and, and that forms the basis of our thoughts and actions. And that actually, knowledge is a commodity. We can give knowledge, we can take knowledge. So, we are producing knowledge. And then that quality can be measured, that we can measure and compare quality. And this gives notion to the, the notion of excellence. Something is excellence if it excels, if its quality excels over others. So because we can compare the qualities. And these assumptions, these assumptions of modernity, are themselves grounded on a series of conceptual metaphors. They are also very metaphorical. And uh, they constitute the now dominant socio economic model. And I will not explain the metaphors that are behind that, but that model is that of rational choice theory. So what do these assumptions say? And I think here is the, 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 the interesting risk in artificial intelligence. What do these assumptions say? This paradigm of rational autonomous agent, what do, what do they say about artificial intelligence' potential impact on human society? to the point that they can be a threat to humanity. So, Stuart Russell, which is this computer science professor at Berkeley that has co-authored this article I I mentioned earlier about the existential risk of AI, he describes the problem as as follows. He says, what we implement in an an autonomous agent, in a a computer agent, which is this how he measures utility, the utility function, so-called, and with respect to which he decides what to, to do, what this agent to do, this utility function may not be aligned with the values of human of the human race, which are very difficult to point down, to endow. And any sufficiently capable intelligent system will try to ensure its own continued existence and acquire physical and computational resources, for, not for their own sake, but to succeed in the assigned task, to achieve the maximum utility. We program it with utility, and it has to achieve the maximum utility. So uh, the goal, what we have done mainly in AI research, is to study the techniques to take good, to make decisions according to some utility function. But we haven't even cared about this function. We have it, and then we see to try to to find the best choice. But we need to know exactly how to define this utility function so that the tasks that we do are aligned with our values, with the human values. And this thing... This, pro- this can lead to the, to the problem that uh, Russell calls the King, King, Midas, King Midas effect, King Midas effect, when we get exactly what we ask for. And here lies the danger. So the Harvard professor of economics, Sandil Moulinathan, said we should be afraid, but not of intelligent machines, but of machines, making decisions that they do not have the intelligence to make. I am far more afraid of machine stupidity than of machine intelligence," he says. And the computer scientist, Pedro Domingos, goes a little bit further and says, oh, people worry that computers will get too smart and take over the world. But the real problem is they, they are too stupid and they have already taken over the world. So uh, Stuart Russell, I think, correctly identifies that values need to be included in the research outcomes. AI technology should yield artificial intelligence systems that are provably aligned with human values. He calls this the value alignment problem. Uh, in a similar in a similar vein, in march in Barcelona uh, there was a declaration of the proper development and usage of artificial intelligent was issued as a result of a debate on the dreams and risk of artificial intelligent and this declaration proposes a code of conduct for artificial intelligence practitioners people doing research or developing AI or deploying these systems and uh, this code of conduct lists uh, six things one is that we need to be prudent so we need to take very stringent prerequisites before a system is applied not to deploy a system immediately but to really be prudent in the in the deployment of it we need to guarantee reliability. So there must be, like in, in, with, with, uh, with drugs and, and pharmacy, we, to devise adequate verification and validation methods that certify that a certain artificial intelligence application can be used or can be applied before it is put into widespread usage. Another issue is accountability. The artificial intelligence systems should explain why they take certain decisions and why not, and we humans should be able to uh, challenge them by reasoned arguments. So, so, so the system have to have some method of accountability. Um, responsibility in sense that uh, it should be made obligatory to make it very clear when an interaction that we have with certain system comes from a human or an artificial intelligence system. Because now, for example, we have tweets that are generated automatically, opinions, and so on, and they are generated by AI boots and not by humans. And there has to be very clear responsibility about that. And then um, this, what uh, Russell said, which is, called the constraint autonomy. We need to uh, circumscribe the intelligence of of these systems so that they are aligned with the human values. And finally, we need always rely on humans. So we need to continue to teach and develop and exercise human expertise because AI, artificial intelligence systems, depend on the human expertise. So an AI system that does medical diagnosis uses the data and the knowledge generated by humans to make the system. So we need not to forget to continue training this expertise because that is what can provide leverage for these systems. So Stuart's proposal for this provably beneficial artificial intelligence and the, and the value alignment problem. And uh, the Barcelona Declaration proposing this Code of Conduct are valuable steps towards a more conscious development of artificial intelligence systems. However, these proposals, and the actions taken so far to take them into account, still stem from the same assumptions and are framed with the same conceptual metaph- metaphors in which AI research program has been carried so far. Because if we want to address this value alignment problem as put forward by Stuart Russell, staying but we stay with the conceptualization of intelligence and of rational action uh, and as and rational action as utility maximization, if we stay with this framework. What we would need to do is to frame human values in this same framework. And this would be to frame human values using a metaphor which in this rational choice model is called the well-being as wealth metaphor. Where well-being or human values or human well-being can be measured in terms of well and compared. And then we can compare it with the metaphors that we use for the AI system. So, although we can provide conceptualizations about the human value systems, as the sort that Stuart Russell wants to have the value systems, clear theories of the value systems, and that we align our systems with these values, also we can do that, and I think this is essentially what what ethics is about. Um, These conceptualizations won't be able to avoid the metaphors on which they are constructed, and the metaphorical entailments. And values are really what's in our heart, and not what is in our head. And consequently, values need to be approached at at the phenomenological level, at the uh, first-person experiential level, of how we feel about values not only from a third-person, conceptual level about how we think about the values and how we reason about these values. So if, if we really are to take effective actions, I think, in order to address this value alignment problem and to address the potential risks of AI systems that might be harmful for human societies, what we first need to look through is uh, through AI's current assumptions and the conceptual metaphors it is based on. And uh, to assess if these assumptions and these metaphors continue to be apt to the way we are living in the societies today. Because if we continue to operate within the same conceptual system, and with the same system of values, we may even make things worse. Maybe unintentionally in good faith with, with these value alignment problems and this research, but staying in the same, we will maybe make things worse. And I think here is where contemplation kicks in, and this will be the topic of my afternoon talk. So I wanted to leave it here for this morning, and uh, and thank you.